write that brand brief, not just about the television commercial that you're going to do, but write that brand brief about every single sense. So what are people going to smell? What are people going to see? What are people going to taste? What are they going to hear? All those things have to tie up together. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Welcome back to the show. My name's Rick Nusky. I am your host. And if this is your first time with us on the My Future Business Show, you are in for a treat. And for those who have supported the show for any length of time, uh, you know what you're in for. And thank you so very much for your support. Now, on today's call, I have the pleasure of welcoming author, consultant, and managing director at Serenity Marketing Group, Mr. Sandeep Dale. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Rick. It's my pleasure to be here. Oh, likewise. It's absolutely mine too, given given your back, back, background and what we're going to be talking about today. And in fact, we're going to be talking about your book, Grand Between the Years, and we're also going to be talking about the importance of rethinking how to appeal to consumers using an interesting field called cognitive science to build lasting customer connections, importantly, epic brands. Now, that's a lot to get through in a very short amount of time, so I'm pretty much sure <laughs> we could have many, many calls. But uh, before we do that, Sandeep, um, I'd love to learn a little bit about your life. Where are you calling in from today? So I'm calling in from Chicago today. Fantastic. And, uh, yeah. Has that been home for you forever or? No, no, originally I'm from India. So, you know, I grew up in India. I had, uh, I went through my high school as well as my engineering education in India. I worked there for a while actually. Mm -hmm. And then uh, way back in 1987, I came to uh, the United States to do my MBA. And so for two years, I was in school at uh, the Yale School of Management. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing. I wonder, what's the cultural differences like? And have you been able to apply those differences in your work life today? You know, that's really a great question, Rick, because, you know, as you know, my work is all in branding and mm. the book is called Branding uh, branding Between Your Years. Yep. Um, and um, brands, when you think about them, are global, right? I mean, these are certainly the biggest brands that we all know and love. They are all global brands. They're sold in 70 different countries and they are um you know loved by different people and in those different cultures so um this whole business of my growing up uh in a different country having experienced a very different culture was in in my view you know certainly i feel like it was very helpful in giving me that sense of perspective mm -hmm. on what are the common elements between different cultures and how things can be different and to be able to appreciate the differences where they occur and to be able to appreciate the similarities when they occur when they occur as well yeah absolutely thank you again for sharing now just for context everybody's on the show with us today um sandeep has worked with the likes of pfizer Advi, HSBC, Santander, Kraft and ConAgra, just to name a few. There's probably a long list of, of brands out there. <laughs> <laughs> can only imagine. How is it that uh, you get to be so well known? You've obviously done some really good branding. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And, and that's, uh, I think, one of the privileges of working uh, in a consulting environment, if you will, right? So, when, mm -hmm. so I've been doing consulting for more than 20 years now. 
And the nice thing about consulting is that you do, you know, travel to different places, you meet people in different cultures, and you work with a lot of different companies over that time frame. So yes, and in, in fact, over my lifetime, I've probably worked, and this is just a guess, you know, that that over a hundred different engagements with you know, 40 to 50 different companies around the world on multiple brands. And uh, so it give, gives you this unique, unique perspective of being able to look at things, look at, the, look at them from the point of view of different companies, different types of products, different types of market dynamics and so on. And mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a, like a test bed or a learning school uh, that you go to all the time. Well, we, we know that businesses are really just a, a combination of different people trying to achieve an outcome. Now, what are some of the commonalities that you've seen across these hundreds of different major brands? Sure. So, I mean, uh, it's interesting because, you know, every time we did global market uh, launches, right, and mm. we were launching different products. So you would typically do research for those brands in, you know, 10 different countries across Europe, Asia, Latin America, United States, and so on, you know, would pick the major markets and you would do that. And it's interesting because a lot of the times I did find that uh, there were a lot more commonalities across cultures than we would normally think. You would expect everything to be very different. And the reason for that is that um, at the, you know, at the end of the day, people have very similar needs, pain points, mm -hmm. and um, you know, unmet requirements that uh, that are across cultures. And therefore you see, you know, when you talk to them, we worked on a product called uh, Pediashore, which is a children's product. Mm -hmm. And you, but you can see that the angst that the, that the mothers have about bringing up their children and their kids properly are very similar when you go across different cultures. So I would say, you know, the needs, the attitudes and so on, many times are very similar. Do you think that uh, story has its place in branding? Story stories. Yep, telling stories, being able to communicate oh. your brand through stories. Oh yeah, storylining is a very big deal these days, and I think uh, you hear a lot about it. Um, but it has to do with the fact, you know, as we are learning more and more about how our brains work, uh, what we are finding is that brains tend to tend to respond very well when they're told when, when they're told stories. So your brain will respond to something, um, absorb the information better when it's in the form of a storyline. And it's not just storylines, it can be patterns, yeah. it can be sounds, it can be different things, but those are the things that the brain responds to particularly well. What it doesn't respond well to is just lists of things, which is what marketers in the past have done, which is that they look at their products they see how those products are different from the competitor's product, right? They make a list of those things. Mm -hmm. And then when you go talk to them, they say, you know what, let me tell you, my brand is about these three things, right? <laughs> but those three things are a disconnected list yep. and nobody other than the marketer. And even sometimes the marketers themselves forget what's on that list. <laughs> so no, storylines um, are very, very important in marketing. And that doesn't just mean that, um, the brand itself as a story but and it can mean that but it doesn't have to be that but what it means is that the brand has to be able to imagine itself in your story yeah. you know so what is the role that it's going to be playing in your life and that and being able to tell that story is very central to creating exceptional brand experiences 
So with branding nowadays, versus small versus large organisations, I often see um, it must be masses of amounts of money being flushed into marketing for no apparent outcome for um, big businesses. What is that about? Yeah, you mean in just you know in just in terms of the spending that goes on. Yeah, on brands, it's, it's almost like, like they just want to be seen. Yes, yes, and you know the we just came through from the Super Bowl, right? Mm -hmm. And the Super Bowl ads were reportedly selling for something like six and a half million dollars for wow, a thirty seconds. Wow, get out! <laughs> yeah, and many brands chose to do one minute ads, right? So that's thirteen million dollars right there. And so, yes, a lot of money gets spent. Um, I do a lot of work in healthcare. So when pharma companies launch their products, it's not, you know, a typical product will take something in the order of 200 to $500 million to launch. So a lot of money does get spent yeah. on branding and on the other aspects of marketing, and it doesn't always pan out. And so it is becoming so much more important uh, these days to, um, really understand what works what doesn't work it was hard before but i think with the advance of the uh, neurosciences with the advance of un uh, understanding more specifically just how our brain works how do we actually make choices because remember branding is all about making choices right how do you prefer one product over the other it's choice but we are being much much more precise these days about understanding how exactly we make choices so that accordingly we can be more precise about making sure that what we do in marketing the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that we do spend on marketing that those dollars are spent uh, more wisely so i wonder you know with smaller businesses i'm not sure what uh, your audience and, and market focus is what what are some of the i guess do you deal with medium-sized organizations and what what is different about their branding as opposed to the big players well i mean Brands are important to everybody, right? Whether you're a you're a small business that's just starting out, or you are a uh, you know multi billion dollar enterprise, um, you know brands are important to everybody. Mm. And uh, the difference the difference is that you know if you're a small business owner, you have to do it yourself, right? Yeah. You, you pick up a book, you know, you buy a book, you pick up a book, and you you know take some tips from it and you do it yourself. Whereas when you're dealing with major businesses, um, there's, you know, they have the money, so they spend it on making sure that they're able to access the best experts in branding mm -hmm. and you know, naming the product and, uh, you know, looking at uh, how Salesforce will work and all of these different things of marketing they are able to uh, do. But at the heart of it, it is the same thing. It is about why people will choose your brand versus other brands. It is about what people see in your product because you know i often talk about this rick as um brands are kind of this invisible part of the product right it's the yeah. part that you don't see yeah. it's the soul you know a lot of people say it's the soul some people will say it's the dna and that's why it is so hard to get your mind around it because you know you know how do you see a person's soul right yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing with brands like how do you see the soul? but with with all of the advances that are taking place we still can't see a person's soul yeah. but we are beginning to see a lot more into uh the soul of a brand and being able to blueprint that do you rely on quantitative and qualitative data um, when assisting businesses to set up their branding 
Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, that's a yes and a yes. And mm -hmm. I think um, I would say uh, I'm a big believer in the qualitative research portion of um, of research that is done. Mm -hmm. And and the reason for that is that, you know, look, you, you I, you know, I often say to people that you can't really do marketing until you get in front of your customers, right? And qualitative research is one of those vehicles that provides you that opportunity to get in front of your customers. You know, whether you're doing individual, what we call in-depth interviews with them, where you might sit down with one person and do deep dive with them, whether you're going to a person and visiting their home or you're doing some focus groups and so on. And I usually recommend you do you know, a little of all of those different things because you see different sides of people. But it is 100% very important to get in front of people, uh, in front of your customers and talk to them and really understand what they're saying. And the, the unfortunate thing is that as you go through your career in marketing, as you become, you know, you start as a marketing manager, then you become a director, mm. and then at some point you become a vice president, and then you might even become the general manager or the president of the business. The more senior you become, the less and less you get out in front of the customers, yes. right? Yeah. So that is one of the unfortunate truths that the most skilled people in the organization are spending less and less time with their customers. So I sometimes, when I'm working with my clients, I'll go to the division president and drag him out to those focus groups. I'll drag him out and say, I'm going to be talking to your customer on the phone. You listen in, you know, be there. You don't have to say anything. Just listen in because, you know, these are the smartest people. They hear certain things that I may not and I hear certain things. And despite all of the advantages or the advances and big data and artificial intelligence and so on, there is no replacement for one human listening to another human. Absolutely. That's really sage advice. Thank you very much for sharing. Now, I see that there's two types of customers or audiences within an organization, obviously the external um, one that you provide products and services to, but you also have the internal. Is that really what we've just been talking about, getting in front of the uh, you know employees and stakeholders inside the business? Well, you know, most of the work that I have, I do is really related to that external side, right? Which is right. with uh, brands as they face uh, their customers. But on occasions, um, uh, there have been instances where we are invited to also do the internal piece of the work with, with our clients. Mm. And in, in that sense, it is very similar work because in, in those instances, those stakeholders, you have to treat those stakeholders as your customers, right? Yeah. They are the ones that are working for your brand. They are the ones that are consuming your brand and so on. So, um, you know, certainly the way they interact and the relationships that they have and so on can be a little different, but nonetheless, you know, really understanding what is their angst, what is their, what are their needs and, and so on. And how do you strike those special empathetic connections with your stakeholders, your employees and so on is uh, is just uh, you know is also very important and but you know obviously there's a whole oh, right. science around that aspect as well so when we talk about cognitive sciences i, I can't help but think about the uh, importance and relevance of color in brand can you share a little bit about color yeah yeah and i you know more broadly in, in my book i talk about sensory branding right mm -hmm. which is uh, so there's one chapter on it um and it is that uh, we 
you know, we perceive everything that we perceive about things, you know, comes through our senses. So we perceive color, we have other visual cues, we have, um, we have the sound and so on. So all of these different things that we sense to our five senses um, are, are part of what our perception of the brand is, right? So when you go to Starbucks, you know, that whole, you, you see the visual is very important, right? When mm -hmm. you walk into the store, you see the cup, you see the green logo of Starbucks on the cup, and you also see your name written on the, you know, all these different things yeah. are, are ways in which the brand um, makes a relationship with you. Now, colors themselves, you know, literally can mean different things uh, in different countries. Um, and, you know, companies like Coca-Cola and so on, which is the most famous, you know, they do a lot of research to make sure that the color red, for example, in their instance, has positive connotations in most of the cultures. You know, they're everywhere. And in most cases, the color red uh, ends up having some very positive connotations. Um, and therefore, you know, it is something that means something to their brand. But it is just one aspect of the brand. So when you're constructing these brand experiences, what I tell my clients is that write that brand brief, you know, not just about the television commercial that you're going to do, mm -hmm. but write that brand brief about every single sense, you know, so what are people going to smell? What are people going to see? What are people going to taste? What are they going to hear? All those things have to tie up uh, together. And when you walk into, you know, stores like Burberry, you know, so I live in Chicago and if you walk on Michigan Avenue, you can be, you know, um, you could be literally five blocks away from the Burberry store, but just when you look at it from there, you can you can see all the visuals that they have around the tartan design that they have is right all over that building, right? Yep, the colors yep. that they use are like the tartan overcoats that they have. Mm -hmm. You walk into the store, they pipe in certain special smells in there to, you know, bring out a unique experience for you, which is very defined with them. So, you know, it's not just for places like Starbucks, which literally have a coffee and, you know, the coffee beans are being ground and you have the aroma of the coffee, even in places like um, um, Burberry's, in places like Singapore Airlines, in places like uh, different hotels, like the Marriott's and so on, and their up, upper scale properties. These things are very specifically engineered so that when you think of that brand, you are getting that total sensory experience. And the interesting thing about that, Rick, is that sometimes, even when some of the elements that are missing, <laughs> yep. your brain can actually just imagine the missing elements oh, and fill the, the reason brain. Yeah. So, I mean, that can fill the gaps. And so, um, you know, so you can, uh, so it's a very powerful thing um, to be able to really think through your brand uh, in a very specific and systematic way. And a lot of brands do this. You know what, well, I can tell that there are clearly many different layers, many different elements, but you know, we have uh, a lot of people on the show that are very large businesses, but we also have some beginners. And I think a lot of people get caught up with thinking brand is nothing more than a logo or having a, a name that's memorable and easy to spell. What would you say yeah. to those who are starting out? Where would they start, do you think? You talked about your brief. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so the typically when we are, so the starting point for brands, you know, obviously is the discovery of the DNA, right? What is mm -hmm. it your brand is going to be about? So, and you know, in my book, I spend a lot of time talking about how do you actually design brand? How do people make choices? 
And, you know, that gets you to a point where you are, at least you've defined what your brand is going to be all about, right? It's DNA, it's soul, whatever, whichever way you think of that. Once you've done that, then you have to think about every single way in which a customer comes across your brand so that you can engineer each of those elements very specifically to be aligned with your strategy. So let me give you an example so that it's not so mm-hmm. theoretical. Mm-hmm. You know, if you take a simple, something simple, like one of our clients is, uh, uh, is a company called Conagra, which has a product called the Act 2 popcorn, right? So it's, uh, it's microwavable popcorn. Uh, the brand name is called Act 2. But what they did, and this was, this was done long back, that when they came out with their popcorn, they the product that was most successful for them was something called the movie theater butter popcorn, right? That's what it was called. And you can just, you know, look at those words and you can see what it, you know, what the strategy is. What they're trying to do is to make you feel like, you know, when you pop those kernels in your microwave, Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to replicate or be, um, you know, have the same sensations of that experience that you have when you actually go to a movie theater, Uh, right? Where you go to a movie, you get a, you know, this big, bucket of popcorn and then you see it you know whatever it is you know a great james bond movie and so on that whole experience gets merged in your brain right all those things just get merged into your brain and all that the the conagra people are doing in this case is just reminding you that look when you pop when you pop these kernels in your microwave you're going to have something that's very similar to that experience so that's kind of the you know whole strategy um but when you buy that box what you're going to see is that the box itself is designed with all of those cues. So there is like a, you know, on the box itself, there is the, there's a picture of like a film reel. Mm-hmm. And on the reel itself is where the name is movie theater, butter popcorn. And then on top of it, there is like all these incandescent lights, the light bulbs yes, that you yes. would see, right? Yep. In, in which is very typical in Hollywood and so on. Right. So you see, so they have all these movie like elements built into that box, which are, um, you know, consciously, subconsciously designed to make you think that you're having as great an experience as you would if you were sitting in uh, in a movie theater. And, um, you know, there is all kinds of research that has been done which says that these things are very true. So, you know, for example, people have found that Mexican food, uh, if you're having a Mexican food in a restaurant which is playing Mexican music and, you know, all of that is going on, that same piece of food, that same you know, same serving is going to mm-hmm. taste better there than in a place where that is not replicated. So all these things have a, an impact on us. And therefore, you know, whether you're a small restaurant or you're a big uh, company like Conagra or Kraft, Monolise, you know, one of these companies, you have to think about these things very deliberately. And the good news is you don't have to be big. If you think about these things, if you are thoughtful about these things, then you can you can create some wonderful brands and wonderful experiences. So do you think the uh, advent of social media and our interconnected world that we live in, the globalization of information, do you think it's easier for small brands to seem big? I think uh, I think so, although, you know, marketing the, you know, there are not too many shortcuts in marketing. So marketing is always expensive mm-hmm. and um, you can sometimes get lucky, you know, with on social media. So I do think that in that sense, uh, social media has had a big play, which is 
um, that sometimes you may, you know, put up a video and so on. And, you know, the famous example here is uh, of the Dollar Shave Club, where the, the young man who came up with this whole idea, he was really struggling. And then he put this, um, like a three minute video, which mm -hmm. was like full of angst and describing his frustration about how the big companies were just kind of jipping you and, you know, charging you an arm and a leg yep. uh, for, for, you know, for essentially, you know, razor blades. And that whole angst that came, it was so authentic. It was so real, real yep. that people started watching that video and just, you know, sending it to other people and so on. And you've seen things like memes and so on, which come up, which, um, which can take a life of their own on media like TikTok and YouTube and what have you. And uh, so there is, there is that interesting opportunity that is available for, um, for even, uh, you know, entrepreneurs who are starting up with small businesses. At the same time, social media per se is becoming very expensive. Oh, yeah. So when you actually go out on Facebook and so on and, you know, or Google and so on, and you buy search words and you buy certain uh, strategies for uh, certain keyword strategies and so on, those things cost, you know, so those things add up very quickly. You go to some influencers who have 100,000 people, uh, you know, like um, uh, the famous uh, football stars and so on. If you want to use them as an influencer on some of your campaigns, you're mm -hmm. going to find that you have to pay, you know, $250,000, $500,000. And that's not always something that's within reach for some of the smaller businesses. But nonetheless, um, there are opportunities there, uh, but uh, it requires requires that methodical thought and that uh, real insight into what is going to really fly with people. So we've just really touched on virality, haven't we? Is there any, yes, yes. Is there anything yeah. different to add to that? Um, I think, uh, you know, you can, there's, you know, there's all kinds of books on viral marketing, so I'm mm -hmm. not going to necessarily get into that in that much depth. Mm -hmm. But I think the one area that my book does touch on is what I was talking about with the Dollar Shave Club, where when you uncover a certain deep angst that exists in people, right, then people do like to, you know, suddenly people understand, oh my gosh, you know, these guys really get me. They get me. Oh, you know, I feel this chemistry. I feel this connection to them. And that's when people start talking about you. And that's what you want, right? In viral marketing, you want, uh, you want to uh, tap into things that people are going to talk about. Yeah. And uh, uh, there are a number of brands that have been very successful with that. And I call them, you know, brands with empathy. I call them brands with values and so on. And these are brands that establish those connections that uh, uh, that allow you to be very successful in that viral effect. So this is where I start to think about differentiation. Is it more important to focus on differentiation in your marketing or just focus on doing what you do well? Um, yeah, so I mean, differentiation is, is, you know, important. It's not, you know, it's not something that... Uh, uh, that uh, you should uh, shy away from. Mm. However, just thinking that, you know, you are going to find this magical difference in your product versus comp competing products and be able to then win the game, um, that happens very rarely, right? I mean, we're, we live in a hyper-competitive world. Yeah. It's very difficult to come up with something that somebody else is not going to copy in, you know, zero time, <laughs> literally, right? So, um products are getting very, very similar. And that's why the brands themselves, which is the unseen element behind the product, become very important because you can you differentiate 
yourself on that particular aspect. So, you know, we were talking about Ang. So one of the one of the brands that got me sort of started on this journey or certainly reflecting on marketing in a different ways, mm-hmm. different way was, uh, uh, you know, Dove Soap by um, Unilever. Yep. And Dove, 15 years, 20 years back, whatever that was, you know, they did this interesting campaign, which they called the Real Beauty Campaign. And what they found was that when they did research and they did research across the world, they found that most of the marketing and most of the commercials that were being seen on television and print media and so on were actually making women feel worse about their bodies. And we're talking oh. about you know, beauty products here, yeah, right? Yeah. Because you could see these super thin, perfect models and so mm. on. And most women would look at those things and say, you know, I can never be that, right? So they would feel worse about themselves. And that was not necessarily the message on those ads, but that's what it, that those ads were doing. So Unilever discovered this. And so what they did with Dove was they started putting all these uh, billboards around the country where they had just, um, you know, uh, normal women. Normal people, on yeah. those boards, right? And when I say normal in the sense of, you know, women that you will normally encounter in your Human life, right? At, yep. at work, your sisters, your mothers, mm-hmm. and, you know, older people, younger people, yep. darker people, lighter, Understood. you know, all of those. Yep. And they just put all those people on those on those boards and uh, and they just had a little logo there that said Dove. So think about that. And that became one of the most successful campaigns ever, not just in the US, but all around the world in places like, you know, Brazil and in uh, Europe and in you know, all of these places. So you think about that and you say, wait a minute weren't they supposed to be talking about their soap and what how their soap is different? Like, you know, say something about how creamy it is or, yeah. you know, or how uh, good it is at providing moisture or how good it is at cleansing or what, you know, how come they didn't do any of that? They just said Dove and they say real beauty and they have all these women there. But that struck such a chord that people started writing about it. People started saying, hey, that's how I feel and da 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 and Dove became one of uh, Dove, the body, sh- uh, the, the body wash and the soap became uh, one of the leading products in its category without ever talking about the differences of the product. Yeah, well, I'm not saying you need to do that all the time, yeah. but it's a great example of something that illustrates that extreme where somebody just doesn't even talk about their product. So uh, that's what, you know, that's it. That's so you have to understand what this brand soul is and how you can incorporate, how you make, how you develop that soul into your brand, because that is what is going to help you differentiate yourself in a manner that is hard to replicate by your competitors. So that's really that Dove experience was more about the experiential part of branding, isn't it? Yeah, it was about you know, establishing a unique chemistry and with uh, with the uh, with the owner, with the uh, customers and being able to say to them, we understand where you come from. Right. And, you know, look, look at it this way, Rick, you know, if you and I sit down together and we feel like we understand each other, that we have a common shared chemistry. Right. Then whatever else I say will seem that much more credible to you. Right. Whereas with someone that you don't have that chemistry with, that you know you feel like, oh, that person doesn't get me, then mm. whatever else they say, even <laughs> if it's right, you're not yep. going to really connect with it, right? Yep. So that's that's what that piece of branding is about. And in my book, I call that brand vibes. It's you know one of the three components of cognitive brands, but that's where that whole piece is encompassed. 
Do you think uh, consumers, by and large, are, are far more savvier today? And does that make branding difficult? Um, yeah, I mean, I would, you know, certainly not disagree with that, which is that consumers are savvier. Um, and in that sense, does it make things difficult? Well, it makes things difficult if you're planning to be, um, you know, less less than transparent, right? <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> so, wait, that's what I was going to ask you about ethics in marketing. Um, does that that obviously plays a part? Yes, it, it it does, and you know, but nonetheless, I think as marketers, we also have much better tools today, mm. right? So it's it's a balance, you know. Com- the the consumers are getting smarter, but so are marketers. Yeah. And we have a lot more insight into how the brain works and how people think, how their conscious thinking is, how their subconscious thinking is. We're getting smarter about all of these things. So you can have fears on both sides, right? You can have fears that the consumers are getting too smart. You can have fears that uh, the marketers are getting too smart. So with your book right between the ears, how long did this take to write you, uh, to, to, for you to write, should I say? I'm sorry, can you say How long again? did your uh, book take um, to write? Oh, um, I wrote the book over, I would say, uh, you know, one year, but, you know, I was putting a lot of time into really doing this. But the work that has gone into the book, uh, the case studies and so on, were things that we have been working on for the last 20 years. Yeah, wow. So, um, yeah, so I don't think I could have written the book in one year if we hadn't been actually working on applying cognitive sciences to brands for the last 15 or so years. Yeah, look, this has just been an absolutely gem of a conversation. Now, if you don't mind, Sandeep, where can people um, both find you should they want to learn more about you, but also where are they going to be able to get this wonderful book? Yeah, so the book, I happen to have a bunch of them there. And one in my hands right there. I'm a blue boy, I love it. Branding Between the Years. Yep. And, uh, uh, you know, the book is available online pretty much everywhere uh, at Walmart, at Amazon, at, uh, you know, uh, Barnes and Nobles and so on, all the usual stores that you would go to. If you don't, if you happen to live in another country, it is, again, uh, available online in some of the favorite bookstores that you might have in your own country. Um, You can get more information about me on my author website, which is sandeepdayal.com. And I do publish some blogs and so on, you know, just commenting on different things. Right now, I wrote a blog just last week about all the ads that came on on Super Bowl. So if you get interested in all the things that happen with branding, uh, certainly uh, sign up there and you will get some updates from time to time from me. Look, there's some great content on there. I was actually looking at it before. You know, you've got the blog post. The one that caught my attention was fear-based marketing. There's just so much great content for people to consume. Go definitely have a look at it. If you're on the show today, make sure to visit uh, sandeepdale.com. I'll be providing that link below this post, no matter where you see it. Make sure to go and uh, connect with Sandeep. And uh, Sandeep, what a wonderful call. Thank you so very much for joining me on the show today. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed it very much. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends, and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.